Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this December the 14th. It's a Thursday in the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me, my co-host, Wes Reimnitz. Good morning, Wes. Good morning, Tom. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I have a little announcement to make. We are going to have our last program on KFUO for this year on Friday the 22nd. Then the following week, they're going to be playing Christmas music, etc. We will not be back with our program until January the 8th. And so just to keep that in mind, we're gone on Friday the 22nd, we're back on January the 8th. And by the way, I do want to remind people that I no longer am having a congregation to preach at on Sundays. After four years at Emmanuel Macomb, they received their new pastor. So if there are congregations interested in having me preach during this Christmas season or longer, email me at tombaker at brick.net. So we'll be back on again next Thursday, right, Wes? Yeah. How many miles was it to, to Macomb? Did you travel? Oh, quite a ways. All right. Today's article that you sent me, is entitled, God Has Not Abandoned You, He's Closer Than You Think. And when I got it, I had a little question about it because it talks about John the Baptist in chapter 11 of Matthew. What does it say? Well, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, unfortunately, a lot of Christians get the impression that John himself was doubting that Jesus was the one. One of the reasons was what happened to John that something caused that doubt? Well, he was thrown into jail because uh, he spoke against Herod, who was uh, having an affair with his brother's wife. Yep. And, of course, that's where he ended up being beheaded. And so the article attempts to say that a lot of Christians also were like John, wondering at times whether Jesus is the Christ. But what did Martin Luther say about that? <laughs> you know me well. Luther, uh, I, I come down on the side of Luther that he was sending his disciples to, to get the question answered by Jesus, that he already knew the answer but they needed to hear from Jesus directly. So he was attempting to affirm 
that Jesus was the Christ and wanted his disciples to hear from Jesus himself about that. And isn't that what we do in sermons? We talk about what Jesus says. Right. I think that comes right down, that squarely puts it right where it should be, that that it's about what Jesus has to say and how we we, uh, witness it to the world around us. Yes. And one of the verses that we believe John had likely memorized was Psalm 54, verses 4 and 5. And what does that psalm say? Well, surely God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. He will reward my enemies with evil. In your faithfulness, destroy them. Yes. In fact, did not John actually believe in Jesus before he was born? Oh, Yes, you bring up a good point. Uh, When Mary went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, uh, she was already pregnant with John, and the baby leaped in the womb when Mary entered entered into the room, pregnant with Jesus. Yes. In fact, the uh, writer of this email talks about a story he heard from his former pastor that when he was just starting... He mostly traveled and preached at undeserved rural churches. Why did it seem like he was running up against a brick wall? Well, there was no response to his message. I mean, there there are times in, in many pastors' lives where, you know, you preach and you preach and it doesn't seem like it's getting through. And, of course, the payment he was promised for his services was often lacking. They they weren't keeping up with it. And I've heard that many a time. Yeah, in in this particular case, he was driving, and he was in a fit of rage, and he pounded his fists against the steering wheel, and what did he yell at God? Why won't you help me? You see, that is a cry that depends that God isn't helping him. But guess what? What happened that made a difference a week later? Well, he was the pastor was doing some chores, and he moved his couch away from the wall to vacuum. His four-year-old son wanted to help him push the, the couch back against the wall. So the father and pastor was behind him. And as they both pushed to help his son feel like he accomplished something, you, and through his hard work, he pushed the couch lightly and slowly. But his son moved with all his might, turned around and yelled at his father, Why won't you help me? The same words that he had used in the car against God. Right. The article talks about God's hiddenness. 
from the word to hide. What does that mean? Well, it's a way of describing why he often appears absent or emotionally immovable, even though everywhere present and capable of helping. According to the Old Testament scholar, uh, John Goldening is based on a misunderstanding of Isaiah 45:15. Yeah, Isaiah is not saying that an ad- attribute of God is his hiddenness, but that his ways are often behind the scenes. God himself even seeks to clarify his so-called hiddenness. What does he say to Isaiah? Well, in Isaiah 45, it notes that God appeared to be inactive when he was, in fact, redemptively active behind the scenes. Exactly. And so God is mysterious, and our knowledge of him is really impossible for a human being to grasp his totality. But he is ultimately in the business of revealing himself to lost, needy people. If we only knew how much God sustained us, and protected us every moment of our lives. For example, recently we had a car accident that really ruined the car, but Louise and I were not hurt in it at all. We didn't even feel anything. And people would say to us, well, that was a real miracle that you had this accident, but you didn't get hurt. And I said, no, it would have been a miracle even if we had been hurt because we would have been taken to the hospital and healed. And if the accident was so bad, we could have died and another miracle would take place. What would that miracle be, Wes? A miracle because you trusted in the promises of the gospel, you'd be in heaven with Jesus. That's right. So I think just about everything in our life is a miracle. If you understand miracle that God is involved. I mean, all you have to do, you've gone to a hospital many a time and seen a person who can hardly move. And yet every morning, many people just get up out of bed stand up, get dressed, brush their teeth, have breakfast, and they don't realize that all of that is the work of God giving them that strength. That's also a miracle. Yeah. If, if seeking with eyes to see and ears to hear, God often enlightens us through the process. However, in our our own good. He delights in these encounters like he had with Jacob when uh, he wrestled with him. And through the wrestling, we grow with strength and understanding and closeness. Yes. The heavens, and that's referring to the angels, also rejoice in our discovery of him. 
which often happens in the most surprising of ways. Think of the surprising way that Saul came to understand Jesus. Oh, he was on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians, and and he stopped by a bright light, which Jesus shown before him, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Yes. And he was on the way to put Christians to death. And God chose him to be an apostle for who? For Jesus. For the Gentiles. Well, for the Gentiles. He was the intercessor. Yes. Now, isn't that amazing? I, I can only imagine Gabriel and Michael talking with God, and God says, well, who should we choose to be an apostle to the Gentiles? I don't think they ever would have come up with the name of Saul because of his persecution of Christians. But that's what it means that God is mysterious. The most mysterious thing is that he chose us. Us. Yeah, as a reminder, we even have a hymn called Chief of Sinners, So I Be, but Christ is all in all to me. And in Timothy, Paul himself, Saul, who becomes Paul, says, I'm the chief of all sinners. Yes. So a lot of times Jesus responds to John the Baptist and the disciples because he seems to be impersonal, but he describes the miracles he is doing for other people. What would John have felt when he heard such a response? What word would you use? What word would he use? Right. Well, sublime. Yes, it was just sublime. Jesus answered John to think bigger. Now, we believe that John already was thinking big, but he was realizing more and more who God really was. Isaiah 61, it, the first verse, helps us. What does it say? Well, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness from the prisoners. Yes. At the congregation I just left, they got their full-time pastor. And that's what he has been proclaiming now. Uh, in his messages to the church to proclaim the good news to the poor. Now, does that mean to the poor who are not wealthy, or does it mean something else? It's those that are pure, poor in the spirit. Yes. Poor in... poor in their ability to do sufficient good works in order to be saved. In fact, Isaiah 35, 
verses 4 to 6 says something else about the miracles. What does it say? To those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongues shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Now, those are promises that can occur here on earth, but they're finally fully going to occur on the day of judgment when Jesus comes down in his glory. Jesus did not swoop down to rescue John from prison. Instead, he filled John with the otherworldly joy at what revelation? Well, that God himself had entered into the human story. It was, yes. In fact, uh, when Jesus responds to the disciples, John's disciples, he makes, makes a plain to them that uh, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy have been cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is, any, is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So what is the task of a pastor or leaders in the church when they are dealing with people who doubt that Jesus is the Christ? Well, to proclaim the good news, it can seem confusing at times. But uh, that see that God is not interested in giving us the best life now, but he's interested in preparing us for the best life elsewhere. Yes, in and, fact, C.S. Lewis wrote, when we accept Christ into our lives, we beg him to make us new, but hidden in our petitions and sights, are set too low. He says, you thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. Why? How is he building a palace? Well, you thought you were getting a little cottage, but uh, he intends to come and live in it himself. You know, kind of reminds you of John chapter 14. In my father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. Exactly. In other words, what's the palace that Christians are now living in? The palace. Our bodies. Our bodies are a temple in which the Lord lives. Yes. We're members of the holy Christian church and mm -hmm. that word church ecclesia means in the Greek to call out we're called out of the world into the kingdom of God 
And when did that occur for many of us? Well, for many of us, it happened at our baptism. For others, it is when they heard the Word and the Spirit of God entered into their heart. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of God. Are only pastors able to teach others about Jesus? Oh, no. I mean, you go into first and second Peter, um, we are all considered the priesthood of believers that are to share the good news. Right. And so one of the big tasks of parents is to bring the children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord because they're born with original sin and they can be quite rebellious and they have to be taught the ways of the Spirit. In fact, what was the problem with Eli and his two sons? <laughs> Eli kind of neglected his sons and didn't teach them. And, and the sons kind of went off in a wayward way. What was it? Hope Phineas and Phineas? Yes. Yeah, they fooled around with prostitutes, etc. And the fact is, Eli was blamed by God because he only used words. He did not use discipline. And no wonder the sons were in that particular situation then. Really you know, sad. You bring up an interesting point. I just saw on TV where they had a statistic that 70% of, of youth that commit crimes are fatherless, that it, it, it drops significantly when there's a father in the home. So, you know, having a father and a mother together raising the children make a big, big difference. Yes. Yes. Um, a family that goes to church, bringing their children with them, teaching them in Sunday school, one of the things I really remember when I was growing up, and I really enjoyed it, every summer we had about two weeks of vacation Bible school. Did you ever practice that? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, some of my favorite memories were, were in Bible class. When I was a youth, I remember they were teaching Joseph with the coat of many colors in that summer. And I asked my mom to make me a, a, a shirt of many colors, and she made it in a couple of days, and I wore it to VBS. You can really? see it in the picture. You can see the picture right, right in the middle of, of, of it. It's black and white, but you can tell the different stripes and colors that were, that were, were there. Now, in Joseph's case, how did that make the brothers feel? Uh, made them feel left out. Yep. You know, they, they, they were not as important as, as Joseph. Joseph is another good example of why we believe John the Baptist did not lose faith. Did Joseph ever lose faith throughout all his problems? You know, that's the, the interesting part. 
The worse it got for him, the more he believed. Yes. In fact, he was sent, of course, to a man and his wife accused Joseph of fooling around with her. He was sent into prison. He then told the dreams of a butler and a baker. And then one of them was put to death, but the other one told Pharaoh about this guy who could tell dreams. And Pharaoh had a dream. And when Joseph was able to tell him his dream, what did Pharaoh do with Joseph? He made him at his right hand and gave him uh, the kingdom of, of Egypt to, to manage during the years of plenty that came into the years of, of famine. Which yes. finally brought which finally brought Joseph's brothers to to Egypt to pick up some food. And right. as the story unfolds, uh, Joseph reveals himself in his voice and his brothers ask for forgiveness and he said, You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Was that a word of faith or not? Oh, deep faith. It's a reminder that God works in, in, in our lives. The Bible is chock full of stories like Joseph. They talk about how God redeems his people and he cares for them and watches over them, that he has not abandoned us and he's close to us. Yes, in last week's sermon, I was making the point. Think of items that occurred in your life or experiences that did not work out well. Maybe you failed in doing one thing or another. But then as you think about it, how did good come out of it? And get the people to think that, yes, maybe some evil did occur, but God always worked it out for our good. And that's what we're talking about in having the faith that John the Baptist had, that Joseph had, that Daniel had, and, of course, the greatest one, that Jesus had. Did he ever doubt the Father? No. I don't no. remember. No. All right. Well, thanks so very much for this good article. And while we do think that John the Baptist did not lose faith, it is still something that our members need to hear about again and again, that Jesus is the Savior. Continuing tomorrow with Law and Gospel until next week, Friday the 22nd. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your checkout to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.
If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.